Hello, you're listening to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark. Now, there's no Natalie Sawyer this week, and she's made the questionable and slightly worrying decision to leave me in charge. Thankfully, I'm joined by Gregor Robertson and Alison Rudd, who are sure to keep me in check and make sure I don't spend the whole time talking about Lincoln City. How are we both? Lincoln who? What? What? <laughs> don't, come on. Come on. This is a big moment for me, Alison. Don't start by winding me up. Everyone all right? Great. Yes, very well, thank you. Good, good. Now, coming up, we're discussing underappreciated clubs, going through our most treasured footballing possessions, and, Alison, sorry to say, we are going to have to discuss VAR. Only very briefly, though. All that to come after this. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now we're going to start at the Emirates with what was my favourite game of the weekend, Arsenal v Everton. Now Alison's already pulling a funny face at me because <laughs> she's not sure why it's my favourite game. I'm going to tell you why, because there's very little involvement from VAR and I just enjoyed watching some football for once, which was very, very <laughs> enjoyable. It's a good point, it's a good point. It was a 3-2 win from Mikel Arteta's side thanks to two goals from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now I found it fascinating because everyone was getting very excited in the office where I was watching Arsenal and thinking, they're back, Mikel Arteta, he's done it. It's brilliant. And actually, to me, it was just exactly the same as Arsene Wenger's Arsenal. Can't defend for their lives. Looked like they concede every time the opposition came forward, but were quite exciting to watch going forward and on the attack. Alison? That is what that is what he wants to create, Arteta. When he I was at his unveiling and he said the reason he loved Arsenal was he would watch them under Wenger and think, Oh, this is beautiful football. I didn't realise you could get such beautiful football in England. So the Wenger years is what he's trying to recreate. Which bit of the Wenger years then? Because it was a long, it was a long old stretch, wasn't it? Let's be honest. And that's well, that's no my doubt point. He was referring to the peak, but the, I think it's interesting that you say it reminds him of the Wenger era, even Be- any bit of it. Because okay, let's let's wipe the last the last eighteen months. But he's not. He has not. Mikel Arteta has not come in uh, with with a brief in his own head of solid football. His priority is the aesthetics of beautiful football. I agree, that's but wants. that's what, but that's what I found it because to, to me it was the Arsene Wenger, the old, the final years of the Wenger regime, where it was ultimately fairly frustrating. But if you're going back Arsenal in time, fans. that's what's going to happen, isn't it? So you're going to, he's going to, so start he's going to go through that period, Wenger, and then in about yeah, ten years ten we'll years be invincible. We'll be, again. Exactly. Wow, I'm excited, Gregor. Convinced? No, I'm not convinced either. I mean, you can see that there's, you can see what they've been doing on the training ground, the work they've been doing, but to say that there's been a transformation is is going way over the top. I think. As you say, they're still conceding on average a goal a game, and as long as they've got Louise and and uh, Mustafi, even with his new haircut uh, at the back, that will always be the case. Um, 
and Alison's right that that's not that's not really he, he wants them to you know he's spoken a lot about the sort of the work rate and endeavour and stuff that you know that's got to be the kind of the the starting point for everything but uh, I agree I think really he the thing he's going to work on most is sort of creating a, a beautiful team um, and they're still a long way from that I think they've got a lot of players that fit that mould though don't they I mean if we put the defence to one side for a minute I think Pepe has looked so much better under Arteta than he did previously I mean every time I watch him he looks like he's getting better and better looks more dangerous fullbacks look terrified of him admittedly he was playing against their ageing Leighton Baines mm. um, but there there do seem to be a few little germs of you know hope there in terms of how they look going forward I mean Aubameyang is an interesting one isn't he because got a year left on his contract lots of talk about whether he'll stay whether he'll leave in the summer you know he's 30 31 I think this this summer is he someone that should be looking to build his team around or is it would it be better to kind of write him off try and get a bit of money for him and look elsewhere oh I hadn't thought of it that way because I, I think it's really important to Arteta that Aubameyang stays it, it would show that you've got a player who is coveted and you know scoring regularly even if he's not the, the perfect player, he's a reliable goal scorer, which makes him very covetable. And then um, if he decides, Aubameyang decides, I can stay with Arsenal. Say they don't they don't crack, <laughs> I don't think they will, crack the um, Champions League places. And it's a fairly fizzle out sort of finish to the season, but Aubameyang decides to extend his contract because he's telling the world, I've seen progress and I believe in what Arteta wants here and I like the way he manages me that that would be a huge huge statement for Arteta because mm. I think I don't think Arteta's going anywhere no. I think they're going to stick with him so he so in terms of power play the power does lie a bit with, with whether Aubameyang decides this is something I want to be part of or not and I, I think it would, it would just be so dispiriting for everybody involved if if, if someone that Arteta has, has publicly said I want to try and convince him to stay and he made him captain, and, and he, you know, the fans love him. If he decides it's not, there's just not a big enough project at Arsenal. He doesn't back Arteta. That would feel like a real retrograde step for the whole club, I think. And as well, if he can, it, it would reflect well on Arteta if he was to continue to to kind of flourish playing on the left because he's always wanted to play through the middle, mm. and he's been he's been excellent on, uh, on the left. That run for the goal, you yeah. know, he sort of came in off the flank, timed it perfectly. Give credit to Louise, to be fair, kind of stepping out and lovely weighted pass. Yeah. I, you know, see that through gritted teeth. Yeah, um, praise for David Louise. <laughs> and it was a kind of Thierry Henry S finish, you know, mm. just opening up and put, playing it into that far corner. So he can thrive out there and, you know, within a team that's kind of set up to to make the most of his, his sort of qualities. Um, but if you're asking me whether he should stay, not if he wants to win silverware. Mm. If he want, Arsenal's still a long way from that. Um, and as you say, he's 31 in June. So if he wants to win some trophies, I think he should be off. Probably got a couple more years left, hasn't he? I mean, they've got a lot of exciting young players as well. Um, Saka, who came on and uh, I think made the the equaliser for Enketia with a brilliant yeah. cross from the yeah. left wing. He looks an incredibly exciting young player, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And that's the kind of thing as well, having two players from the academy coming through that really kind of buoys the, the atmosphere, I think, uh, around the whole football club. But yeah, he's been he's been brilliant. There was always kind of fears when he moved from from uh, playing left wing to left back whether he could deal with the defensive side and he's not really been tested that much but he's been brilliant uh, Johnny Northcroft wrote a great piece in the Sunday Times at the weekend about the kind of 
you know, people have, say, have been saying modern fullback has changed for probably a decade now, but I think it's changing again. It's kind of mm. the degree to which fullbacks are relied on to provide all the width. Yeah. You know, even if teams are playing with front, front threes, we saw like Obama Young's goal, usually it's about making runs inside the fullbacks and the, and the, um, your own fullbacks are taking advantage of that space. So he's someone who can do it brilliantly. It's a great, great delivery. And I was... also wonder if Arteta's just being slightly cleverer than we even know in that I think we've reached peak clamour for academy boys to come through mm. as a society. <laughs> yeah. And he Very was go- on trend, isn't it, it is this very. season? And I think he was, well, he said he wanted to keep Nketiah out on loan because he just felt he needed to just get hours under his belt of competitive football. And he, then he listened to the fans. We love Eddie, we love Eddie. Mm. And he thought, this is going to help me if I can bring younger players through like Nketiah. You know, what he, I don't think he knew quite that it was how on trend it was. So I think he brought him in as a sort of risk because he knew there was another factor. It wasn't just pure football. It was about that mood at the, um, the Emirates that what can you do to change the mood? And a lot of people have written um, in Monday's papers about how the crowd didn't go all sullen because they conceded so quickly and they might have done. And mm. a few months ago. Xhaka still managed to kind of have some howls of derision in the build-up to that goal. He played the ball back to the goalkeeper. Yeah. And it was kind of attack, attack, attack. And he played it out the other side and built, <laughs> built the attack and scored. Yeah. So I think they should probably take heed of that. Yeah, but, I think but, also, but I think, I think, I think you're right. A, no, I think you're right. Oh, yeah. I think it probably also says something to Lacazette, who's, you know, he's not a guaranteed starter at the moment. So mm. it's just another another kind of a bit of competition for the, for these guys up front. And look, he's, he's a goal scorer too. He's been, he has been throughout his academy years and he had a tough time at Leeds, but mm. that was a lovely finish. Now, on a few podcasts ago, we discussed who was going to make the top four and we didn't even discuss Arsenal we're not prepared to uh, change our minds just yet I mean I'm, de- I'm definitely not to be clear I think you know they'll get beaten in the next couple of weeks and we'll be back back to square one I think they're going to get prettier and I think the club is going to get happier but I don't think they're going to finish in the top six Prettier and happier and finish in ninth yes <laughs> I think I most Arsenal fans would take that. that though wouldn't they Arsenal, most Arsenal fans would take that. As long as they can see a trajectory, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be quite honest, because it was looking pretty dire at the start of the season. Yeah, and speaking of trajectory, where do we think Everton are going? Because you know, again, they were a side that we watched in recent weeks, getting excited about Carlo Ancelotti getting more out of players like Dominic Calvert Lewin, who I think has been brilliant and I thought was really good again yesterday. Do we actually see anything dramatic happening with them and the way they're playing? Or is it all still a bit muddling through towards the end of the season? I think there's similarities actually. You know, they mm. both come from such a low point, um, and you can see the sort of the improvement in both sides uh, and a sort of game plan. I think Ancelotti, it's four four two really, and he's mm. and asking a little bit more of a Wobi and Sigurdsson defensively, uh, and kind of doing doing bits to get them on the ball. And people people like you know, Mason Holgate has been fantastic, especially in the ball. Mm. Um, as you say, the front two have, have, are, you know, right up there with with kind of any in the Premier League. I think at this moment in time, Calvert Lewin, more and more, you think he's got a chance of going to Euros. If there's, if only one striker was to be injured for mm. England, then I think he'd be he'd be the top of the list to to jump in in, in his place. So, uh, yeah, the front that front two, him and Richarlison, are are a, a real threat, and and uh, they've improved as improved under Ancelotti without doubt. There's things with. 
Everton, though, was when I was watching them, and even with Calvert-Lewin, I'm thinking about Ancelotti, who he's managed before, what he's been tasked to do, i.e. get them close to or in the Champions League. And I'm looking at the team yesterday and thinking, how many of these players are actually going to be there or in his part of his thinking in a year's time? And you could argue that even Calvert-Lewin, if he's given all the money to spend in the summer, which you assume he's been promised, are they, how many of that starting eleven are actually going to be around in a year's time? I can't I can't see too many, to be honest. Richarlison, probably, obviously. Even Pickford, who we thought was his number one, England's number one, has had his problems lately. I can't see anyone in that midfield. I really rate Fabian Delph. I thought he was a great signing, but is he a Carlo Ancelotti midfielder? Alison, do you think is he going to be? Is it going to be another big summer of spending for Everton? If he really does get the dosh, he'll spend all the dosh and he'll, mm. he'll rebuild completely. Uh, I think, as Gregor has sort of just done, maybe he didn't know he was doing it, but you can go through the Everton side and you can. I can think of nice things to say about every single player, mm. but I don't think they work together. I don't know what they're. They, they don't gel, blend. There's something missing when I watch Everton. I don't quite understand what is always missing. But it, I feel like they've been put together in a patchwork sort of way without without any real proper plan. And Ancelotti's just come in and done done his magic, and they're they're improving definitely. But I I I think you need to. Ancelotti will have an idea of what he wants to achieve, and there might be one or two that will stay. If I was him, I'd still build it around Gilby Sigurdsson because I think he's absolutely <laughs> superb. Did you, did you know that? And, um, and I still don't think he's getting the best out of him. But, that's, but I, other than that, I wouldn't know where to begin. And I have to say, Pickford delivered the worst dis, di, distribution pass a goal ever seen a goalkeeper <laughs> deliver in a match ever. It's not like he tried to play it out short and didn't notice an opposition player was going to run in and poach it he was passing to the opposition player I, I, mm. I, and he was only like what it, four it, yards away absolutely I don't know what, I don't know the rush of blood to that boy's head yeah. happens too often yeah is he is, Alison have you, do, on that basis do you think he's seriously in, under threat for his England place Jordan Pickford mm, marginally under threat I think I think Southgate's incredibly loyal to players that he thinks overall fit the bill and he f- will forgive the odd error but there just comes a point where there's too many mm. I mean there's just too many yeah I mean I, I I defended him a few weeks ago but increasingly I'm starting to think better make a quick change now for the friendlies <laughs> in March to try and give you know Henderson or Pope a chance I because he just looks completely shot to me Pickford yeah I think he's not uh, learning from his mistakes that's yeah the I thing. think I think and Primarily, kind of with the ball at his feet as well, and that's increasingly a kind of an important mm. aspect of England's that's play. That's the reason he was in. Like, that's yeah, the I know. He yeah. Keeps his place. Yeah. If he's, you know, if his distribution goes, then you wonder whether he's going to make it. It's strange. England have always had sort of a series of goalkeepers that they could rely upon, and now they're kind of, you're looking at someone who'd be completely untried and untested uh, as a replacement. So, you know, I think it would be a massive decision to do that. But on, on Everton, I think people. I agree. I think there are there is a lot of kind of work to be done in the squad. I'm still not convinced by Yeri Mina, to be brutally honest. Mm. Um, and Sidibe was kind of badly exposed by Aubameyang, and and I think he is really when he plays at right back. If he plays right wing back, he's a good player. Mm. Baines getting old. You know there is yeah. There's not much longevity in that in that squad. Yeah, the but, similarities of both sides having a fairly poor defenders is yeah. is is uh, is pretty startling, isn't it? Now, one of the reasons I enjoyed Arsenal Everton so much 
was the lack of involvement from the video assistant referee. But I'm sorry, Alison, we are going to have to talk about it a little bit because it did dominate the agenda on Saturday. We had um, Giovanni Lo Celso's horror tackle on Cesar Aspilicueta. We had Bournemouth being denied two goals against Burnley. And we had handball controversies in the match between Leicester and Man City. But we're not going to go into all of them. We're not going to row about it. We're not going to decide who, you know, whether which one was right, which one was wrong. Instead, we're going to try and condense our thoughts on VAR into five words. Now, Alison, no swearing. <laughs> no swearing allowed. As our resident sceptic on VAR, would you like to go first? Five words, please, and I will be counting. <laughs> Ill-conceived. <laughs> Inaccurate. Immoral possibly illegal wow that's pretty good I really wish we'd ran through these before because a man isn't anywhere near as good as that <laughs> yeah, no, that. absolutely brutal Gregor well I've gone for a five word sentence um, Stockley Park Stooges are incompetent and I'm, I'm, you've left me high and dry with that because mine is a less eloquent version of that is that right yeah <laughs> my, I went for no decisions from Stockley Park that's yeah, rubbish that's, yeah that's quite dry yeah <laughs> It's very basic, then. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. That's the thinking. Thing. The yeah. thinking being that you know, if you send them to the pitch side monitor to check, and but then it's from one person that the mistakes are consistently either you know, f- from one person rather than broadening it out. Now we're, we're going, Alison. I feel like I've got to at least give you the chance to, you know, get anything off your chest from this weekend that you you know want to talk about. Not possibly area. illegal. I think it's the most interesting thing I said because uh, from two angles. One is. Aren't they opening themselves up for legal challenges if you if you start telling the referee that is not a red card and then you apologise during the match and say it is a red card? Well, I mean, you could you could if you wanted to. Are we going to see you in the high court <laughs> with banners? You, you get rid of VAR. It's, it's they're opening themselves up to potential legal action there. I think in terms of meddling with with what should and shouldn't happen and the outcome of a match. It's also possibly illegal because they're selling a lie because the technology is not is not fact it is even even the lines that are drawn are approximations and they're just selling a lie to people saying look at the line it means he's offside look at the line it means the ball crossed crossed the goal line no it doesn't it just means they've got an approximation of it so it's it's just complete nonsense i don't know why we all get obsessed about lines because we want things to be certain but the way the ca- the camera shutters work and the way the screens work the way measurement works there is there is a margin of, for error that is quite big so that when the commentator tells you the tv viewer if you're watching at home oh well we can see it's definitely this or definitely that that is a lie and as a viewer you might want to sue them for that as well <laughs> Well, I feel there's a campaign beginning here. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited by it. Gregor, agree? Disagree? Yeah, I mean, look, they're too. They're, the technology needs to be improved, and handball law needs to change. That's the two. You know, there are things that could help the referees and the VARs, but the biggest issue is human error. Still, it's just mm. opened up a whole new avenue for humans to make mistakes. Well, that's and they're my, doing that's it and really taking the, advantage yeah, of it. Yeah, th- that's my thing with the Stockley Park thing, is you're just making, you're adding more humans in to make more human errors. Whereas yeah. if you keep it to one referee, then at least you've got just one person making decisions for which re- managers and you know teams can argue over. But they're less defensible too, because it, you know if a referee does it in, full, in, in, uh, in real time and makes a mistake, you go, well, you know, he's only human. But they have the, they have the technology now to slow these things down. I mean, the red card... 
Lachelso's red card. There's no, I don't know how someone can not give a red card for that. It's not, you know, we've talked about subjective decisions so many times, and it's getting really quite sort of tedious. But mm. that that's not a subjective decision. Mm. He's planted his studs in his in his shin and intentionally. Mm. I don't think that's there's any question about that. So I don't know how you can't give a red card for it. So that's why I said incompetent. They're, they're, they are now opening themselves up to appearing absolutely incompetent. Alison, do you think Lacelso should have seen red? Well, of course he should. Anything that makes me go, ugh, then that's a red. <laughs> Thank and God, because I, I, I agree. So, you know, we're all agreed on that. And we promised we'd do five words each, and we've probably done far more than that. So, but we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Lacelso should definitely have seen red. My um, granddad had a. Um, <laughs> here we go. Had a, a mirror opposite a mirror in his living room. Yeah. which did my heading when I was little, because I thought, where would it end? The reflection on the reflection, yeah. on the reflection on the reflection. And I was reminded of my granddad's mirror, because I was at uh, Stamford Bridge on Saturday when VAR intervened and then VAR apologised. And I thought, oh, we need a VAR check on a VAR check, on a VAR check on the VAR check of the VAR check. And you could carry on for infinity oh, no, and no. maybe never get the right answer. That sounds like like the opening of your speech that you're going to make to the courts when you take all these illegal um, <laughs> illegal footballing or challenges. Or a new novel. Yeah, <laughs> or indeed a new novel. Anyway, well, we'll leave it there. Illegal VAR brought to you by Alison Rudd. You heard it here first. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, one team to benefit this weekend from VAR were Burnley in their 3-0 win against Bournemouth. And it got me thinking, watching their game, how a few weeks ago we were all talking about Sean Dyche, relegation, hadn't won for a while, lost to Chelsea, sitting just about outside the relegation zone. Now, here they are, I think they've 13 points from the last 15, on the brink of Europe. Made me wonder, are they one of the most underappreciated sides in Premier League history, Gregor? Um, yes and no. I think... Yes and no is not allowed. It is an answer. It's not. It's definitely not. I think they are under. Well, they're undervalued, um, and but I think a lot of people are are fine with that because they don't like the style of football they play. It's like if you were to say is Sean Dyche kind of should be should he be managing 
a higher club, which which has been discussed a lot in the past. He never will when he's playing football that he's that he plays with Burnley. Um, you know, the bottom 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 possession, bottom for possession, pass completion, uh, shots per game. They win the most headers, most long balls. It's all the things we know about Burnley. It's not, it's not changing, and it's effective. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely fine with it. I think, as we discussed about uh, Atletico and, and Simeone mm. against Liverpool uh, in la- last week's pod, there's there's room for different styles of play and different football, and and that's that's why Burnley are 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 great for the Premier League because they bloody the noses of some kind of more of the elite teams. Um, but I, I don't think. There's any chance of either he or kind of Burnley being going much further than this, personally. I know Burnley fans will not like to hear that, but... Burnley won't make Europe. No. I mean, to me, I do think there's a little bit... It's a little bit unfair to just kind of categorise them as long ball and stuff, because, you know, I've I've watched them and, you know, we talk, we've talked on this podcast about full-backs bombing on and their left-back, is it Charlie Taylor who plays left-back? Yeah. You know, he's always, you know, overlapping, charging into the box... Dwight McNeil is one of the most exciting young players in the Premier League. Absolutely, yeah. So, whilst I I take your point that yes, they are you know quite attritional and you know they win all the headers and low possession, I think they're a better technical team than people give them credit for as well, and they've got some very very talented players in their side. I think. I mean, Alison, I don't know how many Burnley players would you think would get into a Wolves or a Leicester team? Oh, I think a few should, or well, might not might not actually, but they should. And I've I've never I can't remember watching Burnley and not enjoying watching Burnley. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean he plays four four two, and I don't know why has that suddenly become dirty. <laughs> it's it works. He's yeah. made it work. And um, aside from it being you know we're reaching peak desire for academy players, I think we've also reached peak desire to know the identity of our club and the clubs mm, that don't have a clear yeah. way of playing are the ones that struggle. And that's why Deitch will never be taken by a, an even semi-fashionable Premier League club. He might he might be taken by a kind of a more vaunted name in the Championship one day and take them to the Premier League and progress with them mm. just because someone's so desperate to get into the Premier League. Say a Nottingham Forest, um, but there's no chance of him. You know, he's had he's been doing the same thing for so many years, and that's why I don't think he's ever going to be taken by a kind of a bigger name in the Premier League. But isn't it? A kind of wonderful, right. but it's a kind of wonderful thing that they can hit a bad patch. And whilst I've not been bored by them playing, I have seen them play badly. And you think, is this the season? They just they just don't have the money and the resources to mm. be able to 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 keep it going in the Premier League. And they have a run of bad form, but he manages. He almost always manages to arrest that slump and then go not just arrest it in a sort of piecemeal way but he arrests it and they go on a splurge mm. where they re- they regroup and get, get their mojo back and they look like a team that they look like a team right now that has just started the season having been sent on an amazing holiday and they're full of hope it's incredible that he can do that he's been yeah. there forever you'd think they'd be bored of him by now but he's the master <laughs> of refreshing the team yep. and he must I've heard he does come up with clever little things to, I mean he sometimes says let's pretend I'm somebody else and I'm a new manager you know he try, he's aware that there's a downside to, to longevity but he's so he makes it work for him and they what he does I mean he ought to be making an absolute fortune in how to make 
team spirit work because that's what they have more than anything a belief in him belief in the system belief that they can be greater than the sum of their parts and that they don't care that they're unfashionable and yet they don't have that sort of nasty edge that some teams sometimes get when they want to do that it's us against the world idea mm. they're not particularly dirty or no, no. As, and as i've said i think they're actually quite pleasant to watch and any team where you see every player giving everything and there are a lot of teams in the top half where you think not every player is giving everything um but they do they do at burnley and you know you're not going to be picked by sean dyche unless he thinks you're just going to try and you know you'd bleed for him they're all amazing qualities, so they are underrated. Mm. Greg, have you ever had a manager like Sean Dash? No, I mean I wish. <laughs> um, How hard is that to get that? What, what you know, that kind of atmosphere in the dressing room that yes. Alison's talked about. You know, because she's you know she's quite right that they've been on lots of runs in recent seasons where everyone's kind of written them off and said, "Ah, this is the year Burnley will go down," and then they turn it around. How hard is that as a player and as a coach to change that mentality? I think it's more been maintaining the kind of the that's a bit of a cheesy word to use, but the culture of the at the football club, and that's what he's done. He's built a sort of culture of just relentless hard work. I think he's got to be saying before every game, it's fire in the heart and ice in the mind. So it's kind of you know passion, but mm. you know in a controlled cool, cool-headed way as well. Yeah. Um, and he, he, I noticed, I think I took a little quote that he said after the game uh, at the weekend. It was like people really playing hard for their shirt for their teammates and their club if that goes out of fashion I'm telling you I will not be sitting here because what's the point and that sums up Burnley that's kind yeah. of they play for the shirt they play for each other um, and he sort of he, he's always kind of railing a little bit against the sort of direction of travel of the game yeah. and I, I love him for that as well mm. so look I know everything I've said at the start of this I just think that's the reality I think yeah. he's not going to so you don't think he's got you know when Brendan Rodgers gets snapped up by Man United or someone, he's not going to get the Leicester job. No chance. I wish that wasn't true, but there is no chance because, as Alison said, there's a kind of people want to see a a certain identity, and and it's not really Sean Dyche. Yeah, it makes me wonder whether there's a bit of a comparison with David Moyes at Everton. Previously, when you know he was so popular, done great things there on a small budget, then gets the big the big gig and ever since has been tarnished more by what happened after Everton rather than what he did in his time at Everton. Oh, give him a break, Tom. He hasn't taken the big <laughs> job yet and failed. You never know. He might be at Barcelona in three years' time and everyone will be going, oh, fantastico. <laughs> but Moyes was only given the big job because of Sir Alex. Yeah, I'm not sure he would have got, gotten that job or, or anything similar otherwise. Could we see Sean Dyche managing England? Barcelona? England, no, no, maybe? No. no, for the same reasons. Gareth Southgate's the kind of progressive guy now, isn't he? It was Sam Allardyce. But he wasn't the progressive guy, though, was he? He was the caretaker guy, you know, given given the job as a kind of that's what he's become by, by accident. That's what he's become, bringing through the young players and playing football in a certain style. And Sean Dyche doesn't fit that that picture, I'm afraid. Poor old Sean, he's got to <laughs> stay at Burnley and enjoy himself, hasn't he? Yeah, but but Sean, I mean, I don't, I don't think England's the right job anyway because his his talent main talent is not moaning about having no money and money has nothing to do with the England job it's it's you need a club that for whatever reason has a limited budget but big ideas and thinks he can slot in and cope with what he's given and not demand something in January he's can we think of one then I'm trying to think of a future career path for Sean Dash of a club mm. I don't think there's a team in the Premier League who would take him Crystal Palace maybe Palace or a Watford or something again. 
but like I say, I think West Ham. <laughs> I suppose if they take Moyes, like then they probably would be very blessed. Him. They'd be very blessed yeah. if he went there. But I don't. I can't see him working with the ownership. No, it won't give the fans what they want as well. But going back to the players, I think that you can say the same thing about some players. Someone like Tarkowski mm. would get in like an Everton team. Mm. Um, Pope would. Yeah, Taylor, as he said, is underrated. I think yeah. Ashley Westwood. Ashley under- Westwood is underrated. one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. In my and the opinion. strikers, you know, there was t- kind of brief talk about Barnes going to Chelsea. That really weird <laughs> transfer window <laughs> yeah. under Antonio Conte. Uh, Chris Wood, I'd hate to play against them. Yeah. Rodriguez, you know, and was almost playing for England and before he's injured. These are really good signings, and they play. You know, they play. They really fit into the way that that Deitch, uh, plays. But I think they could play. For higher sort of bigger clubs than than, than Burnley as well. New Barcelona signing Martin Braithwaite revealed something which restored my faith in football as a little this weekend. He came off the bench to set up one of Lionel Messi's four goals in a five nil win over Ibar. After the game, Braithwaite joked that he won't wash his clothes again after hugging Lionel Messi, which made me think, what are our most treasured footballing possessions? And I'm wondering how many times Gregor gave someone a cuddle. And hasn't and washed that. the shirt since. I think oh. about you all the time, mate. Thanks. Yeah, that's nice. So, what's the question? <laughs> how, how many famous footballers have you hugged? No, I'm joking. Uh, what is your most treasured possession in football? I was never a, a shirt swapper. I'll be brutally honest. Oh, come on! You're one of those guys. I think a shirt swapper denier in our Absolutely, swapper denier. I'm like one of these old dinosaurs when you see the you know they see uh, people. Saying we're going to swap shirts at half time, I think. What are you doing? That's that's who you're playing against. You're, you're mates with Roy Keane, is compi- absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm Graham Sunis, and I'm fine with that. Um, my most prized possession is my debut shirt for Nottingham Forest. Uh, I've got all I kept was a shirt, my debut shirt from every club I played for. Um, but that's the most important because it's a momentous day. Worked so hard to kind of get an opportunity. Um, and you'll remember that day kind of in vivid detail forever. Um, and the club, Nottingham Forest, frame the shirt for you uh, and and give you the kind of oh, that's, plaque and the that's date. And the they do that. So they do that for every every player or every academy. Every academy player. Um, and there's a room still at the city ground with my shirt and those of many players that you would have heard of more than me. Uh, um, who, do you know who you're alongside? That's that's got to be kind of a. It could be Wes Morgan because we were very close. I think he made his debut in the round before in the Carling Cup. Nice. Me. Um, Next to a Premier League winner, that's not. There's bad. lots of you know. There's lots of like Michael Dawson and Jermaine Genius and Andy Reid. They're all, all there. So. But you've got a shirt as well at home. I've got my the original debut shirt. And where's that framed on? It was hanging in my study until I moved to London and bought a house. I couldn't afford a house with a study. <laughs> so you hung it above the bed instead? No. It's, it's <laughs> Surely. It has been hanging in my house. It's not at the moment, but that's the only thing. I don't, you know, again, there's people, I've got friends who've got kind of like, their house is like a shrine to the past and mm. I'm a little bit, I'm not really down with that. So were any of your teammates big shirt swappers and you had arguments? You know, they'd come into the change room and go, look, I've got, I've got, you know. No, I don't hold it against anyone as long as it's after the game. I mean, it sounds time, a little bit I'm like not sure. <laughs> no, I mean, that. I played against, you know, I played against some decent players. I remember playing against the Spain team, the Scotland Twenty Ones, that had Iniesta and Fabregas and Sergio Ramos. And you and don't they were regret, all big, do you and don't big regret names. swapping? And I ship. considered it. Don't worry about it. I did think maybe I should do this, and 
but it's just not been something I've ever done. You decided to crunch them in a tackle instead and like swear in their ear. Couldn't catch them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did someone ever ask for your shirt and you told them to piss off? Um. No, we we. I'm kind of betraying the level I played at here. You probably wouldn't be allowed. You'd have to like buy your own shirt afterwards and and. Uh, 50 quid I wouldn't really want to part company with. So you did tell him to piss off? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Alison, your most treasured footballing possession? Okay, October 2003, I'm sat in church for Harvest Festival. Pardon? A few people say, happy birthday, Alison, what are you doing today? I said, oh, actually, I'm driving to Liverpool because I'm covering uh, Liverpool v Olympic Ljubljana. And they went, ooh. On your birthday, oh, it's all right, I like Liverpool. So uh, there I go, go drive up on my birthday. And Liverpool win 3-0. And it's an e- they win well, actually, and it's quite a, a pleasing game. And on the stairs, just after the game finished, because Anfield in those days, you'd often pass the manager on the stairs. Anyway, I passed the manager on the stairs, Gerard Houllier, and he said, he was always very nice to me, and he said, did you enjoy the game? And I said, uh, I did, actually. It was a good thing it was a good game, because it's my birthday today. And he said, oh, happy birthday. And then there was the press conference, and he had just made Stephen Gerrard captain of Liverpool. Uh, that job had been held by Sammy Hippier. And in the press conference, I said to Gerard Hulet, what? Do you not think this is an odd thing to do, to change captaincy in October? And all the Merseyside reporters are glaring at me. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? You sound like you're being critical of him. And uh, But Julio was, was pleased to answer the question. He said, no, no, Hippia still remains my sort of defensive captain. It's just, I just feel this is the moment to reward Stephen Gerrard because I think he's going to be a captain for many years to come. La, la, la. So I go into the press room and I'm typing out my match report. Tappity-tap, tappity-tap. And then this big burly bouncer comes in and taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, Gerard Houllier wants weird with you. <laughs> and all the all the right all the other writers look very smug. Like, this is what happens oh, when no. you ask a difficult question, Alison. And they're smirking at me. So I did feel slightly nervous. So I went outside. Here comes a um Sound effect. So uh, I'm reaching down into my bag. And then Gerard Houllier's there. Oh, you've actually brought it with you. Uh, Gerard Houllier's there. (laughs) This is great. And And it's in bubble wrap. I should just clarify. She's brought this in. It's in bubble wrap. So it's clearly very well looked after. And he said, um, as it's your birthday, Alison, um, I've just taken the shirt that Stephen Gerrard wore as his first game as uh, Liverpool captain and I'm giving it to you. So I immediately pressed it to my face. And smelled it to did check a, that it was real, that it was real, and it smelled of man. <laughs> it, it, it smelled mainly of a very, very expensive aftershave, actually. Right. So I carried it back into the. <laughs> Isn't it it's beautiful? Right, I can confirm that uh, is exactly what. And what she's I got carried there. it back into the press room, and everyone looked at me, and I said, well, what, "What have you got that for?" I, so I sort of tossed my hair. So, <laughs> well, as it's my birthday, Gerard Houllier has just given me a Stephen Gerrard shirt. And they were going, oh, it was my birthday last week. I didn't get a present. <laughs> and uh, so it made me deeply unpopular. And then two years later, I go to Istanbul for the game of uh, the millennium. And um, I did a piece for the Times where I'm wearing this shirt and explaining why uh, they don't make Stephen Gerrard's in Italy. <laughs> and so it was a sort of famous shirt and p- people were asking to smell it and touch it and I felt a bit like a sort of religious icon wandering around Istanbul 
But I didn't. It was very warm in Istanbul, and I didn't wear it in the first half. And then uh, it was not nice feeling. So at half time, I thought, how can I change Surely things? Not. So at half time, I put it on. And, and you know the and rest. So now I'll shut up. But this is this is why this is why it's my favourite possession because. And then I played football in it, and I always played well when I wore it, and I have never washed it. Wow. Which sort of fit, comes all the way back to the start of your question. Yeah, so you can fully understand where he's coming from. I, I'm never going to wash it. It's a, now it's a mingling of my, of, it's a mingling of Istanbul, so, my sweat, and Stephen Gerrard's so sweat. So to, to be clear, three nil down, AC Milan. You're not wearing. You the don't shirt. have to recap that game to anyone listening to the game podcast. No, no, I'm just checking that you're definitely going to put you. You put that on at half time. I did. It's famous. Yes, people. People know this is why we won. So you're <laughs> the reason that Liverpool won the European Cup. That night. Yeah. Well, me and Steve G. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I definitely should have gone second because there's, no, there's, no, there's just no point almost in me telling my story. Uh, my most treasured footballing possession is a small red hat. It's not that small because it fits my head. Um, that my dad bought for my little brother when he was born uh, and it says the imps on it. Uh, and so it's been in the family for about 27 years and I wear it to every game, uh, even when it's hot and sweaty. I still had it on on the day we got promoted against Macclesfield uh, in late April a few years ago uh, and I would be utterly bereft if I ever lost it. So that's my most. Is that how you take a selfie at every game? Every single game, yeah. Always wearing it. Yeah. Every time, you know, it's a hot day. All the lads are like, "Oh, you got your bloody hat on again." Here he is, weirdo with his hat on. So, you know. <laughs> Have you washed it? It's not been washed for a very, very, very long time, if ever, because it's starting to like come apart and pull apart and things. And so I'm very worried that if it, you know, went in a big spin cycle, it'd come out <laughs> in a very different way. So yeah, that's my most treasured footballing possession. I touch it. Well, that's it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and Alison for guiding me through today and keeping me company. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism from these two and many more uh, on your smartphone and your tablet. It's just a quid a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. The Game Podcast and, most importantly, Natalie Sawyer will return on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.